Today on Let Me Be Frank, Bishop Caggiano helps us work through and think through the four cardinal virtues. These are prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance. What is virtue? How can we grow in each of these cardinal virtues? Hang on, because the virtues help us live a fuller, happier, and more meaningful life. And Bishop Caggiano will really help us dive deep today. So you need to keep your radio right here at 1350 AM or stay dialed in on your phone with the Veritas mobile app. The app is always a great option since you can listen to the live broadcast or you can grab episodes you missed. Download the app on your phone at the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or at VeritasCatholic.com. Let Me Be Frank is brought to you by a grant from Foundations in Faith. It is that time of year again. Foundations in Faith is now accepting applications for Youth in Action grants. The program will fund three diocesan initiatives that are by youth and for youth for up to $5,000. To be eligible, applicants must be members of a Catholic high school or a parish high school age youth group or a young adult group. Applications must also emphasize evangelization, collaboration, or justice and equity for historically underserved populations in their proposed programs. Find out more on the Foundations and Faith website. Applications are now live on Foundations and Faith's website and they close on November 19th at midnight. To learn more or to apply, visit foundationsinfaith.org and click on Youth in Action Grants at the top of the page. Foundations in Faith embraces innovative approaches to funding pastoral care programs in the Diocese of Bridgeport, from seminarians to retired priests, from baptism to last rites, from suburbs to inner cities. The reach is broad and the impact is meaningful. All right, I'm Steve Lee, and it is my pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, good morning. How morning, Excellency. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Yeah, good. Good. We're into October. Yes. Columbus Day weekend is coming. I yes. think my family is going to come up to Trumbull. Oh, nice. Which, yeah, which will be great. The kids, you know, as I said to you, when they come to Trumbull, it's going to the country. So yes. I, that'll be fun. <laughs> of course, I have a lot of work to do, but that's right. They do yeah. their thing. But it's, yeah. And, and Columbus Day really is the heart of the fall, isn't it? Like that's it, when fall really kind of begins. Yeah. Through yeah, Thanksgiving. But- by then, the, the leaves have started to change and look beautiful. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, although this year, the foliage seems to be delayed a bit. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it could be, the, it could be all the water. Someone had mentioned to me because of, of the excessive amount of rain. Huh. And the fact that it really hasn't gotten cold. It's gotten cool. Yeah, right. That the foliage might be just, you know, this is my favorite time of year, so I hope and pray that the leaves just don't all fall off at once. <laughs> you know what <laughs> <Right>. I mean? <laughs> you know, we, we also, by the way, uh, on Monday was um, your feast day. So happy feast day. Yes, Excellent. thank you, St. Francis, and also the Holy Fathers. On right, of course. And, and my second son, his confirmation name. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Il poverello. Right. Probably one of the greatest religious geniuses who ever lived in our tradition. Yeah. Second, obviously, to, well, the Lord is, of course, our Savior. Probably St. Paul ranks higher because of his epistles and the huge influence he had in theology. But when you talk about the religious imagination of Christianity, Francis, I mean, is in a league unto himself. He's really probably one of the most beloved saints in history, yes. too. Not just yes. by Catholics, but all over. Yes. Even people now with the uh, ecological, integral ecology that yes. the Holy Father is speaking of. Yeah. Even even secularists yeah. are invoking his name. Interesting. Isn't that interesting? Uh, mm-hmm. I'll tell you. So last year when my son was confirmed and he, I, we, he chose the name Francis... I was like, that's a great saint. He's a warrior. He's, you know, such a huge historical figure. And this, you know, 14-year-old boy goes, I just think it's hilarious that he got naked in the middle of the town. Figures. (laughs) Figures. That's what they remember. Right. (laughs) But even that, I don't, that would be, um, I mean, talk about prophetic act. It's like something Ezekiel would have done. (laughs) Right. 
And they probably thought he was crazy. Yeah. Yep. I, I don't think it brought any great conversion. <laughs> no. He mortified his family and the rest of the people out there must have said, put the straitjacket on this guy. And get rid of <laughs> 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 you know? uh, but he's a fool for the Lord. Amen. Amen. So, and, and a model of virtue, which brings us into today's topic. Yes. Yes. We, uh, yes. Because I think it's a topic that's extremely important which is the, uh, the cardinal virtues, part mm -hmm. of the human virtues that should guide our lives as believers. And there's a lot of misunderstanding about them. And quite frankly, even in religious education circles, there's not much talk about them. And I've begun to emphasize their importance. And so I thought it would be good for us to just chat a bit about them, you know, yeah. kind of do a primer. And you know, the, um, the catechism has a whole section on the virtues right yes. in part three yes. so and it's only like six pages yeah so first i would recommend to anyone who's listening if you could download it on the internet or just if you have a copy just take a read because almost everything i'm going to share today comes out of those pages in the catechism yeah but the one thing about reading the catechism which is very important and that is do not speed read it because the catechism was distilled so that every sentence, every phrase, right, is an essential part of the narrative. Right? And you can have two or three theological points made in a single sentence. Yeah, right. Right, right. So that's why it's concise. But you, you take, like, this could be sort of like a week's worth of meditation, right, on the virtues. Yes, yeah. So let me, let me ask this question. Let's start by asking the question. So why talk about this at all? All right, so, so Bishop, you think it's important, but why do you think it's important? Why is it? Okay, I can give you a few reasons. First is that if we talk about grace building on nature, that is God sends the grace of the Holy Spirit and his inner life into us as a gift to inform who we are in the image and likeness of God, then when we talk about human virtues, we're talking about the image and likeness of God. We're talking about the stuff of who we are. And the truth is, the more virtuous we become, the more we are ready and disposed to receive the life of God. So it is not icing on the cake. It's almost the cake. Hmm. So if you're not living a human virtuous life, the offer of grace will have limited opportunity to really form you. Okay, which is one. Second of three, we, in religious education, we do a lot of discussion about service, which is tremendous. But I have this moral conviction that most of our young people do not understand the religious character of why they're being asked to do what they do. Right? So they want to alleviate poverty, feed the hungry, all the tremendous, tremendously important. But they do not always understand that those acts are pointing to goodness, who is God, and should be powered not because it's a requirement for confirmation, <laughs> and it shouldn't be powered because it's an expectation for your parents if you if you know if you want to eat dinner, if you're gonna get food at the table, right? Right, go do your chores, take out the garbage, or else. But it really should flow out of a life that is disposed, predisposed to goodness. So virtue is not something to do, Ser um, service is not something to do, but it's just a manifestation of who you are. It should be your lifestyle. Yeah. Right. I'm not sure our young people understand that, particularly in confirmation when they're given service, they just see it as a requirement to, to get done. Yep. Right? Is One that more box to check. Yeah. One more box to check, exactly. And then you've heard me say it before, the third and last reason is simply because for young adults, now young adults, who have many questions, unresolved issues with the church in its areas of faith, which can all be resolved if we have an opportunity to sit and talk with them, if we create a safe space, right, for them to answer their questions, to ask their, to ask their questions. Well, I think then um, when we invite them to do the good and we speak to them about the human virtues that should power those acts of good, then we are preparing the ground for the word of the gospel. It's almost pre-evangelization. And if a young, a young man or a young woman 
like gets involved in the work of CRS, for example, right? um, then you're beginning to instill in them the virtues, let's say, of the four cardinal virtues. Okay, so we talk about prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance. You begin to kind of inform the why of what they're doing so that when they hear the word of the gospel, it's not foreign anymore. And then we can begin, begin to build the narrative that allows them to see the fullness of Catholic faith. So I think this is extremely important. Okay. So what is a virtue? Allow me just to quote one half of one sentence from the Catechism. Right. Actually, one sentence should do it. Okay. Now the, it says, a virtue is a habitual and firm disposition to do the good. Right. Its goal is to allow a person to be free to do the good. To do the good that's informed by reason and faith. Now notice to the two words, habitual and firm. To grow in the human virtues is a habit that someone needs to work on. Mm. If you wish, for example, to live a life of temperance, then it demands developing the habit where that temperance informs your daily life. The virtues are all about the dispositions we need to navigate everyday life and to do it in such a way where it follows reason because reason is disposed towards the good, which is God, and faith which is the grace, which informs it even further, right? So it's got to be habitual. So there's work here to be done. And the second is it has to be firm. So if you're going to, for example, grow in the life of justice, well, you can't decide to do it and then take a hiatus and, you know, do your own thing for a couple of weeks and then go back because it doesn't work that way, right. right? You have to be resolved to keep doing it because it's like a tree. You want to grow in a certain way and if you don't grow in a certain way, then you get to a point where you may not grow that way at all. Yeah. Right? So, so that's basically what we're talking about. And therefore, there's two types of virtues. The theological virtues and the human virtues. The theological virtues, easy. Steve, they are three. Faith, hope, and charity. And the greatest of these, of course, is charity, because that is who God is. Yes. Okay, now, why, why do we have theological virtues? They are gifts, right? You need to work on them, right? You need to nurture them, but you don't create them, right? So we've talked about this at other podcasts. They are given in baptism, right? Faith, hope, and charity, right? And why are they given? They are given so that the faculties of the human person are molded by the gift. Remember, this is grace. So that you could receive the life of God. You could participate in the life of God. Right? So you could be a virtuous person and have no faith. All right? And therefore, you will, be, you will do good, but it will not lead you to goodness who is God. Hmm. And we know those people. Those mm -hmm. are the sort of people who now say, I'm neither spiritual nor religious, I'm ethical. I want to do what's good. I want to alleviate suffering. I want to make the world a better place. I want when, I, when you have my celebration of life, when, I, when I'm gone, rather than a funeral mass, I'm going to celebrate my life, and then I'm going to celebrate the good that I did, which is wonderful. This is a good thing. But without faith and hope, hope and love, it's, it doesn't have lasting value because only God does. Yeah. Right? And faith is the gift to believe, right, in what God says, right, in the revealed word, right, and to be predisposed to accept the revelation of who Jesus is. Hope, right, is the firm conviction of awaiting the happiness which is heaven as my ultimate goal in life. And then of course, charity is to will the good of the other and to share in the very life of God. Sorry, so we're not talking about any of those. We've talked about those plenty. All right. We're talking about the human virtues. All right, 
So what's the general definition? Let's go a little bit deeper and say, so what are the, how would you define a human virtue? Now listen to this. Okay, talk about a sentence that's packed. It is, are they are the attitudes, dispositions, and habitual perfections of intellect and will that govern our action. We're going to take that part in a second. In the end, what human virtues are is the means by which we master ourselves. Right? We master our intellect and will by the attitudes we foster. That's a whole podcast in and of itself, the attitudes mm -hmm. we bring to life. Because in the sense, many of the sins, many of the injustices are from the attitudes that are on, that that are are unjust, unformed, sometimes sinful. The dispositions, when you open yourself. So for example, you encounter a situation that demands patience. You'll have person number one disposed. There's a disposition to be patient. Another one who wants to jump out of his or her skin. Right? How did they get to that point? The same event, the same thing happened, but it's the disposition of the heart that has been molded by a thousand choices to be patient so that you become disposed to be patient, right? That's the point. And then habitual perfections. Perfections in the sense of you have been patient, it has yielded fruit, you've been patient again, it has yielded fruit, and therefore there's a habit that's perfecting you in that direction. Right? But again, it's all about the choices we make. It's the work. And therefore, part of why I wanted to talk about this is because I wanted everyone, myself included, just to be reminded that in our prayer life, in our self-reflection, in our examination of conscience at the end of the night, if in confession, and if any of us who are listening have spiritual directors, you know, we can look at faith, hope, and love and examine our conscience, but we should also examine our conscience with the virtues, particularly the cardinal virtues. Does that make sense? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Right? Hmm. So, I guess um, my question then is, and this is a question I think that is asked all over society today, is, mm -hmm. so, that's great, but like, why Why would I even want to live a virtuous life? I mean, it seems like it would be right. better to just right. live as hedonistically as possible for as long as I possibly can and then just have a deathbed conversion. There you go. Absolutely. Two problems. Problem number one, when you live that sort of life, when you live a life where you are imprudent, unjust, lack fortitude, and intemperate, bottom line is you're living chaos. You want to call it anything else you like, it's chaos. And I would take to, I would take in disputation anybody who challenges that. Because just look at the fruits of that life. Now, it's not to say good people like you, my, like me, could fall in temperance. Or for, of course, because this is a work in Human life is a work in progress. But if someone were to, to follow your example, say, mm -hmm. I absolutely have no intentions of doing any of this. I'm going to sleep around as much as I want, drink as much as I want, eat as much as I want. I'm going to fend for myself and lie, steal and cheat and step on the next guy because it's just about me. Then I'm just going to just go wherever the winds tell me to go. I'm not going to stand on anything I believe in. That's chaos. And you could see by the addictions in our world that people escape from the consequences of a decision like that. Yeah. And we should not be afraid to say so. Yeah. There is a better way, right? Yeah. And the other point to be made is, uh, what gives you the assurance, whoever the you happens to be, that you're going to have a deathbed conversion? <laughs> yes, right. Right? Yeah. That's a in the end, you, you remember my, the parable of C.S. Lewis about when you're dead and the, the person you, you, know, you, you despise the most is telling you, God sent me, go this way versus the other way to heaven. The way you lived your life is how you're going to answer that question. And the point of the matter is... Um, the chances of having a deathbed conversion when you disregarded all these virtues for your whole life is far-fetched. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. 
Okay, so now quiz time, quiz okay. time. Uh, cardinal virtues, they are four, right? Because yep. the cardinal virtues are the ones where the other virtues, which we will not necessarily have time to talk about, kind of like our consequences of revolve around complete. So the four cardinal virtues, once again, are? Prudence, justice, mm -hmm. fortitude, mm -hmm. and temperance. Temperance, okay, absolutely. So let's talk about each of them. And then let's give examples, right? Let's kind of like put a scenario out there and see yes. how, how you would deal with it, okay? Awesome. All right, so so what's prudence? How would you define prudence in layman's terms? Yeah, I would say uh, prudence is, uh, it's making the right decision. Right, exactly, that's very well said, yeah. St. Thomas says it's right reason in action. So it's practical reason. Right, you're in the nitty gritty of life, right? And you have to make decisions. And it does two things, prudence. The first, it's the virtue by which you could discern what's good in a certain circumstance, right? Particularly when it's a complicated and confusing circumstance. You could say, this is, this is what's good, which is objectively good. And it also allows you to discern the proper means by which you can do the good, but this, this, they're separate realities. Hmm. So you can know what's good, right? So prudence, but then you may choose the wrong way to, to affect it. Yep. And that becomes happens all imprudent. the time. <laughs> right, right. And you know where, um, you know where this comes into, um, pastoral outreach, preaching, which we'll get to in a second. And this is where conscience comes in. Prudence orders our actions so that if we are truly convicted in conscience to do something, prudence helps us to understand how to do it in fidelity to our conscience, a conscience that is truly formed and informed. Okay, so now, what's an example of prudence? L let me give you a pastoral scenario. You encounter someone as a, as a minister of the gospel, as a layperson, as a priest, as a pastor, as a bishop. And this person is a mess, complete mess. And a mess in so many different ways, by, by circumstances of life, by the things that have happened to the person, by their own poor choices. Okay. So you know what's good for the person, right? Depending on what the details are, you know what that person has to turn to in order to start straightening their life out. However, you have to discern how to get them there. And this is where many people fail. Because they do not have the habitual disposition to empathize with the person and try to discern what it is that could be a baby step or baby steps that will gradually allow them to effectively hear and effectively do what you're going to offer to them to do. So, so sometimes you come out with a sledgehammer and just hang, you know, like let's say it's shock therapy. This is what you yeah. gotta do, buddy, and that's the end of it. Get it right. through your head, this is what you have to do, right? Well, what you're telling them to do, right, the, the goal is prudent, but the means is completely imprudent, Yeah. right? And I have to tell you, I think one of the insights of Pope Francis in his, in his papacy is challenging Christians on this very virtue. Are you discerning what is good for your neighbor or good for yourself? And are you, are you open to discerning the means by which your neighbor or yourself can do it? So I'll give you another example. A person who is recovering from addiction to alcohol, prudence would dictate that you never put yourself in the position where you tempt your resolve. Correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? We used to call those the near occasions of sin. We can yes. still call them that. Right? But in this case, it's the near occasions of the near occasions of imprudence that may test you beyond your ability to resist. So if you know the good is to remain sober, 
you have to discern the means and say, I can't go into that bar. Mm-hmm. All right? Or I cannot, I can no longer have that friend. Because that friend is all about drinking in an, in an imprudent and, in, and, and, and without temperance. So those friendships cannot remain. Remember Steve Bowman had spoken about that in his own yes, life? Yes, right. So yeah. that, is, that is really the virtue. And, and I think of all the four in the modern world, prudence is the one that I think is the, is, is, is the one most needed and the one least understood. So now let me ask you this, not to put you on the spot, but as a parent, how do you teach a, a son or daughter the importance of prudence? Yeah, gosh. So we have, my kids make fun of me because um, every morning before I drop them off at school, the last thing I say to them is make good decisions today. And so they've gotten to the point where they open the door and they're like, dad, make good decisions today. <laughs> Yeah, right. But, you got to change it up, Steve. You got to yeah. change it up. <laughs> but, um, you know, gosh, it's, we give, I don't know if this is correct or if it's complete, but it's one thing that we do is we give our kids examples all the time yes. of bad decisions that have been made by yes. people. And without getting, you know, graphic or explicit about anything, we just tell them, you know, like here's, I remember... I forget, it was like 10 or 15 years ago, there were some teenage boys at a Target in White Plains, New York. And they were rolling shopping carts off the edge of the roof of the parking lot. What? And, yeah. And they, were, and they would fall and, and they would laugh as it would crash on the sidewalk. But one of those carts ended up hitting a lady. <gasps> and... You know, my kids know that story very well because there were, if I remember correctly, there were three boys who were involved in it and two others who weren't, but were who were on the roof just watching from a distance. All five of them were arrested. What happened to the woman, I wonder? Uh, she, well, she was in critical condition. I don't know what happened afterwards. I hope she oh lived, God. but... What a um, crazy thing to do. But yeah, I you know, and so... The reason my kids know that story is because I said, you don't have to be one of those three who's pushing it off. But if you're one of those two who's watching, that's also mm-hmm. a bad right. decision. Right. So in the end, it, 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 they didn't discern the good yeah. for themselves or for that woman. So they didn't even get to the method yet. They, they failed at the very beginning. Yeah. Right. But the one thing I'm going to, I would suggest, and of course not being a parent, this may be easier for me to say, but I also think... While we always want to teach our young people la via positiva, the positive way, there's also going to be occasions when they make mistakes. Mm-hmm. They lack prudence. And those are powerful teaching moments. You pray that those decisions are not what you're describing. Yeah. But, you know, because from the from their own conviction of if, if you create a space where a young person can quietly admit their mistake mm-hmm. and learn from it, sometimes that's a powerful teacher. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Yep. How can we, before we go to the break, Excellency, so, and how can each of us grow in prudence? Well, I think, as I said before, a, a couple of things. You need... It's a work. It's a it's a habitual disposition. So, it doesn't happen unconsciously. Mm-hmm. So, part of what I'm going to suggest for all of us is that for these four virtues, we should examine ourselves every day. Have I been prudent? Just have I had fortitude? Did I ex- did I uh, exemplify temperance today? Because you learn from your own mistakes but then you could augment when you were faithful, right? So one of the things I think in the examination of conscience, add these four to that, Mm -hmm. right? And secondly, if you do have a spiritual director or a good friend or a confessor or someone you speak to, these four should be part of the conversation. Yeah. Right? For example, when we get to temperance, anybody who knows me knows that I have a major struggle all right, with being temperate regarding food. 
because I love to eat. I just love to eat. Yeah. And I love sweet food. I love dessert. I love chocolate. I, please don't send me any. <laughs> I don't need them. Thank you. It's imprudent. <laughs> <laughs> but I love it. I, my idea of heaven is dying in a pastry shop and <laughs> coming to eternal life in a pastry shop and just sitting there all day for all eternity and right. just eating. <laughs> With an endless stomach. Okay. <laughs> right. With an endless stomach. And it may sound crazy, but, but that's a struggle for me. And anybody who knows me knows that. Yeah. And there are some times when people say, all right, knock it off. Honestly. Because you know what? You had dessert yesterday. Now you had dessert. Just stop it. Stop it. You know, I have some really good friends who will actually say that to me. Those are, yeah, those are good friends. Oh, yeah. For sure. But they won't say it that kindly, though. Because we're recording. <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> but the idea comes across. <laughs> All right. Oh, gosh. So we'll tackle the other three uh, cardinal virtues on the other side of the break. You're listening to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano on the Veritas Catholic Network. We'll be right back. If you're concerned about your end-of-life plans, searching for a Catholic cemetery, or have loved ones who are buried in one of the 14 Catholic cemeteries throughout Fairfield County, now might be a good time to begin planning for yourself or for other family members. Call one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 to leave a message or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Many people don't realize that they can be buried with their deceased loved ones, even if all of the family's in-ground plots have been taken. The Diocese of Bridgeport Catholic Cemeteries provides in-ground burials, as well as columbarium and mausoleum options. This makes it possible to unite your family together in the same cemetery, and it's an opportunity to build a bridge for your family back to the church. Talking about this issue is not easy, but pre-need planning makes your wishes clear, reduces cost, and helps your family avoid difficult decisions at a time of grief and loss. You can start your planning now by contacting one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. We can guide you through the options, regulations, and considerations to help you make the best decisions for your family. The number is 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. We are talking about the four cardinal virtues with Bishop Frank Caggiano and Excellency, you just went through, uh, well, an overview of the virtues, and um, we talked about prudence. Mm -hmm. And so let's move on now. Um, do you mind if we move on to justice? Oh, absolutely, because this is where we have some fireworks. <laughs> justice. The Catechism defines justice this way. It's the firm and constant. Firm and constant will, so it's a choice, Right? That should be habitual. To give God and your neighbor his or her due. Okay? So it's will, it's an act, it's a habit. To give what is God's and what is your neighbor's due. Jesus defined justice. Give to God what is God's. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. Just substitute Caesar for your neighbor. Mm -hmm. Now, this, this provokes many questions. For example, in classical theology, this is called, it's mentioned in the Catechism, the virtue of religion, right? Justice, justice, what is just, what I in justice uh, must give to God, what is owed to God. The question is, what is owed to God? What is owed to God? Because God doesn't need me. God is complete, he's perfect. God is all life, all goodness, all love. There's nothing I can do that's going to complete God like I could help you. I'm not helping him. Mm -hmm. but, 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 but there are things due to God. First, right worship. It's the recognition that I wouldn't be here. I would evaporate into nothingness. And everything I accomplish and everything I do is his gift. 
and that my human dignity and the fact that I have received the offer of grace is his gift. So what he is due is gratitude all the time, all the time. So worship for us is to give, among the things, is to give thanks to God. That's the Eucharist, to give thanks for the death and resurrection of Christ in which you and I have been saved. So, so if you want to be just, how many times did you thank God yesterday? And if you didn't, you are not just. Yeah. How's that? <laughs> Let's think about that for a second. <laughs> right? And then from thanks comes worship and praise. Because when you are that thankful, there is no needs for words. There are no needs for there are there is no need for words. There is just the disposition of worship and praise of God, who is the source of all good. Right? And then we've spoken about what's due your neighbor is a way to love God because you are loving the person whom God loves. And that is due to him. But now, if you look at the catechism, what it says is, what's due your neighbor, I'm paraphrasing, is that you are both to respect the rights of your neighbor, what is due to him or her, and to promote harmony among persons. So it is both what is due the person and to protect the common good. Hmm. Because if you assert your personal responsibilities and your personal rights to the expense of the common good, something is wrong. And therefore, remember our discussion about the vaccines? Yes. It really is a question of justice. Okay, it's a question of justice. To be able to balance an individual's right, what is due an individual, but what's also due for the harmony must be created among all God's children. And what I don't hear oftentimes is the balance of the two. So I will hear only people extolling the common good, and I will hear people only extolling their personal rights, but the virtue of justice holds them together. And sometimes intention, many times intention, but holds them together. And you're not absolved to say, I have this, I don't care about that. Then you are unjust, yeah. fundamentally unjust before God. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it makes sense, you know, when you, when you look at the definition and you know, give what's due to God and give what's due to your neighbor, it kind of, it's, it's easy to understand. I mean, it's so easy to understand. Right, right, <clears throat> right. And you know what? It, um, as Christians, we need to inform the political, economic, and social order to become just. Because we do a tremendous job, all right, of aiding people who are in need, suffering, homeless, unemployed, all right, those who are seeking shelter. But a Christian, what is due his, his or her neighbor is not just to meet their immediate needs, but justice demands that Christians inform the political, economic, and social order so that no one should be in that position in the first place. <laughs> right. Right? Yeah. And that is where you get into these huge politi political debates as if God cares. <laughs> Those are human constructs. Right. <laughs> right? Of, I mean, of course he cares, but... He's not bound to them. We created them, right? Yeah. So the point of the matter is, a, a Christian has to have an open mind because what should, flow, what should inform his or her worldview are the virtues, the transcendentals, truth, beauty, and goodness, and the theological virtues that lead us to receive the life of God. And everything else should fall into that. That's the... That, that is... And that's where we could have legitimate debate, but we always have to remember it comes from the from the virtue of justice, for which there is not. Well, I'm not going to, you know, it's. Well, I could opt out of that one. Mm -mm. 
Yeah. <clears throat> it's it's hard because as as you've said many times and it's you know you just have to look around and you can see the the society is so politicized and so divided and um argumentative and even the word justice actually seems to have like a, there's like a, a the definition of justice today when we say he'll get his due that's always a bad thing you know but i mean i guess thank god god doesn't give us what we're actually due because no matter how good we try to be here we could never merit what you know Right. You know what, Steve? I don't remember if we did the seven principles of Catholic social teaching on any of our podcasts. Uh, but I don't but think if, we have. In which case, we're going to do it very soon. Because justice animates the three basic fundamental social teachings that are rooted in the gospel. That every human being has inherent dignity that is not given to him or her by the state or by my choice, but it's by the act of creation and informed by grace in the act of redemption, that there is a basic number two solidarity, communion among all people, precisely because we are made in the image and likeness of God, informed by grace. And the third is that local communities, most especially the family, need to be protected because that is the domestic church and that is the place where civilization is built. Yes. We should talk about that one day. So yeah. when we talk about justice, it flows out of those principles, right? Yeah. Right. Okay. Let's, let, let's, let's talk. Yes. How about um, fortitude, Excellency? Fortitude. Right. Fortitude, the catechism defines fortitude in two different ways. It's the habitual disposition to, be, to maintain firmness in difficulty and constancy in doing the good. So again, they are two separate but related issues. Because fortitude makes the most sense when you're experiencing a difficulty and, you, and fortitude allows you to stand firm on what you believe, even though you will, you will face difficulty. So for example, I have a dear friend who is a public school teacher in New York City who has come to the conscientious decision that she will not receive the vaccine and she will leave employment hmm. because she will be on paid leave, uh, unpaid leave and she can't survive on unpaid leave and she will not violate her conscience. So that's fortitude, all right? Yes. Particularly if it's truly informed, which in her case, it truly is. Yeah. But fortitude in the face of suffering and disease and so many things that can be done, right? Difficulties, fortitude when a child is suffering with addiction and you stand firm with them and walk with them and accompany them, right? But the constancy in doing good is the part we sometimes forget, you know? So we excuse ourselves when we lapse and not do the good or fall into sin. But fortitude is that virtue that gives us the strength to persevere in doing good and therefore avoiding sin and not excusing ourselves so easily. So what are we talking about? We're talking about overcoming temptations, right, in life, standing firm against them. It's overcoming fear, which could be an obstacle to doing the good. What are people going to think about me? What are they going to say about me? What are the consequences for me? Fortitude helps you to overcome those, right? Where in the end, in faith, martyrs receive the power to ultimately give their life, not simply because of the grace of the Holy Spirit, but that grace is built on the human virtue of fortitude to stand firm. Now, we have some great stories of the martyrs, right? Yeah. Throughout the centuries. Okay. And in the end, if you want an example, this may sound kind of silly, but... How many of us, honestly, in Lent, start convicted, I'm going to do X? Because this is the constancy to do, because I know if I do X, I'm going to come out the other end, and I'm going to either have a better sense of this fault in my life, or I will have spent more time in prayer, or... And around the third week of Lent, we said, now, what was that? Like, what was, what was I going to do in Lent? I forget now. 
See, that's a failure in fortitude and the constancy to do the good. And the one thing I do want to say about this, and then I'm curious to hear your reaction, this, this is the virtue where the rubber hits the road when you are really suffering. So if you are, well, I, I, look, I remember back to when my mother was dying. For 13 months, my mother was dying. There was no doubt in my mind that I would do whatever it took to make sure my mother was cared for. See, that is the, the virtue of fortitude. But on the other hand, I would be a liar if I said I had that conviction with everyone I met. Indeed. Hmm. And that's my failure in fortitude. When people have entered my life, and I have walked with them, but, but you know, there were limits to what I was going to do. And many times I was comfortable not challenging those limits. But fortitude will ask you to challenge those limits. Again, you know, for a friend, you may not do what you would do for your mom or dad or for a child. But, right, and that's, that makes perfect sense. But we're complacent with the limits we place on everyone else. Fortitude would say no. Right. What are you going to do to be constant in the good of the other? Right? Yeah. I, um, so, I mean, listening to you, uh, you can tell that, uh, you've put into practice what you're telling us with examining your conscience using these virtues because you're being very honest and, and mm -hmm. open. And so thank you. Um, yeah, it, when you, when you brought up the martyrs and you said fortitude, like the other, the other, uh, virtues mm -hmm. is, is a habit. And I thought, but. You know, the martyrs, most of them were in societies where they were deeply persecuted every day. And so they built it up so that right, when they got to that point moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so like, how would I, how would I build that every day? How do I build that fortitude so that mm -hmm. if I come to a, a place where I, I am facing possible martyrdom, I have the fortitude to keep going. Right. Well, remember... There's white martyrdom and red martyrdom. So the red martyrdom is giving your life. White martyrdom are the sacrifices you make each day that give your life as a self-offering. So in a sense, in your examination of conscience every day with fortitude, did you, did you or did I remain constant in doing the good in the face of this sacrifice, whatever that happened to be that day? And if the answer is no, then you cannot build a disposition that if you had to give up your life for Christ, you would. So could it even be little things like, please don't tell a joke like that, like speaking up? Or, yes. you know, please, yes. you know, don't use that language or, or I don't know, some, something little like that. I mean, do, does that all add up, Excellency, or, or yes, something it's, bigger? It's a, no, no, it's, no, it all adds up. But I think with fortitude, it would be more internal. Okay. So where did I falter today in either overcoming a temptation or obstacle or in doing the good? So avoiding evil and doing the good. Where did I falter? And did I falter because the sacrifice at that moment was judged to be too great? That's a failure in fortitude. So you pray for that. Hmm. Okay. It's almost like training in the gym, Right. I, and as I said many times, the, the portion of the gym I despised, absolute, when I used to go to the gym every day, okay, was that treadmill. Whoever invented the treadmill is in purgatory. <laughs> okay. Now, there are people who love the treadmill, love to run, and I, God, I admire them. I'm a little bit envious of them. I am not one of them. <laughs> right? So you talk about a failure in fortitude. I would have found you any excuse under the sun not to until my trainer would actually run next to me and then I had no choice. Right, right. <laughs> right? And there's no virtue there. <laughs> there's no virtue there. Uh, let's, uh, let's, let's hit the, the final of the four virtues. Temperance. Um, temperance, yes. Okay, great way of describing temperance. It's to maintain desires 
within limits. Okay. Again, two things. You moderate your attraction to the things that are pleasing. And you also, secondly, balance the use of the things around you. So it's two separate and related things. Now, to moderate the attraction of things may sound a bit odd because you're naturally attracted to things. <clears throat> okay. When I see a cannoli, my response is, yes, I want, <laughs> I want to eat that cannoli. <laughs> I don't need any great intellectual discourse to figure that out. So then again, we're going into the mystery of how these cardinal virtues are interrelated. So if I wish to be temperate, temperate, Therefore, I need, I need not to always wind up every day in the pastry shop. That would be imprudent. Hmm. Right? And I need to remain in fortitude so that when I walk by it, I don't always choose to go in. See how they're related? Yes. And the same thing with balancing the use of things because... You know, we've said before, my parents always believed in moderation in all things. But exclude nothing, right, which in and of itself is something that is good. All right, you, of course, you exclude what's evil, right? But so like drinking wine, drinking alcohol, eating sweets, whatever it may be, in moderation, which is what temperance is, right? They, they're all good. Actually, they can lift the spirit. There's legitimate times to celebrate, right? Like today's my onomastico, right? And therefore, same thing. But um, you would celebrate. But I, I think in the end, this is where the modern world intentionally, consciously, deliberately works against the virtue. Because you can't have a consumptive world, a materialistic world, if it's, it's one that follows temperance. It's yes. just what you won't. Right. So of the four, the ones that's taxed the most is this one in the modern world, deliberately, for obvious reasons. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Joseph Pieper uh, wrote a great book on, on the cardinal virtues. And when he described temperance, he said that temperance, not only is temperance beautiful in its, of itself, but it mm -hmm. also renders men beautiful. And he mm -hmm. said that intemperance is mm -hmm. an infantile disorder that makes us cowardly and you know unable mm -hmm. to take heed against you know mm -hmm. the powers of the world mm -hmm. um which you know to me kind of reiterates sin is a burden sin is bondage mm -hmm. and that is completely visible in intemperance and so temperance on the other hand is liberating and purifying right that's beautifully said Yes, that's beautifully said. And again, you could see how the virtues, these four virtues, also tie into the transcendental of beauty. Because if temperance is to hold all things in balance, beauty ultimately is proportion. It's order. It's the, it's the, it's the, it's the, it is the proper proportion and order to the things around it. Even scientifically, you know, the, uh, scientists have, have discerned that a face is considered beautiful because it's proportioned correctly. It's like right. everything is balanced. But right. you see then that t temperance leads you to goodness, but it also can point you to beauty. You just said it's, it's beautiful. Yes, yes. Yeah. See, what we need to do a much better job is to help people of faith and people of goodwill to see the whole picture. Not to see faith as individual, but because when you see the whole picture, it's so compelling. It's so compelling. Right? Yeah. And we have to figure out how to do that better. <clears throat> yeah. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the recurring... Um piece of advice I'm getting from you from today is that it needs to become habitual. We need to practice, practice, practice. Right. For adults and help young people to do the same. So I think going back to my question about a parent, I think a parent needs to keep at the forefront of their children's attention 
the basic cardinal virtues and help them to understand when they make mistakes against them, why that's hurting them, and to, and to give them um, the guidance to develop them, right? because that's a role of a parent, to be a witness of faith. Yeah. But for adults, it's to their own examination of conscience to do that. Okay, awesome. So uh, that was an incredible <laughs> discussion. It's, Thank you, Excellency. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's yeah. a lot of fun. Let's take one more break. We'll come back with a listener question on the other side. So this is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network, and we will be right back. Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano on the Veritas Catholic Network. Excellency, we got an mm-hmm. email in this week, and here's the question. It says, Dear Bishop, the Confidior is a beautiful prayer that we sometimes pray at the start of Mass. However, we don't always pray it, and it is my understanding that its omission is at the option of the celebrant. Mm -hmm. Assuming they are not trying to save 30 seconds, are there pastoral or prudential reasons why priests would choose to skip it? And also, is there any history to the prayer? Well, the history to the prayer, to be honest, I, I, I do not know, but we, I could always come back with an answer. Um, but as for the prudential pastoral judgment, yes, for example, the, the, the Mass calls for a recollection, admission, and an offering of contrition to the Lord before we enter into the, the mystery of the Eucharist. Because when we speak of worthiness, no one comes to the Eucharist worthy. No one. Therefore, we need to dispose, remember, we need to dispose ourselves to receive the gift. And therefore, there is no time to do a proper recollection when the celebrant gives you 15 seconds. So one practical advice I'm going to give everyone, and then I will answer the question is, come to Mass at least 10 or 15 minutes early and use that time to recollect and examine conscience so that when you actually go to the penitential rite, you're actually penitential. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right? But to go back to the question, there could be. There are different options to fit in many ways the different, either seasons or the emphases that the celebrant wants to make. So for example, you would not have the confidior if in the Easter season, you use the blessing of baptismal water and the sprinkling rite, which is absolutely germane for the Easter season. Right? Or if a person, like if the celebrant chooses to do the strophe and the Kyrie eleison, that is probably more ancient than the confidio since the fact that it's in Greek should give us a hint that this is part of the living tradition which has created a mass which went from, you know, Aramaic and the Semitic languages to Greek to Latin and now into the vernacular again. So, uh, you know, there are some, I'm sure, who in their moments of, of weakness are trying to save 30 seconds. There could very well be priests who do that. But my experience and my own personally is that um, I choose a different form depending on the context, the scripture, the occasion, and those are all valid reasons to have the variety, at least in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I, I love how um, our qu- our questions that have come in range from like you know questions about you and let's say your favorite ice cream to spiritual questions, to parenting, to liturgical now. Well, see, this question was very astute, though, because it's not only an important question, but it gives thought Mm. to the celebrant's responsibility when he does have legitimate choices to make and why he makes the choices he makes, because it affects the faithful. Yes. Case in point, this question. Yes. So this question is very important. Yeah, yeah. And so if you have a question for Bishop Frank, send it in to us on social media, or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. So is Veritas Catholic Network. And we would like to thank Foundations in Faith. It's a grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization that makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. 
Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport, and you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. Excellency, before you go, would you please give us your blessing? Absolutely. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Steve, I will see you next week. And maybe next week we're going to talk about the social teachings of the church. Yes, definitely. Thanks, Excellency. All the best. Enjoy. Thank you. Thank you.